Hello, world. Welcome to the Speed Strength Show. I'm Braden. I'm Tommy. And when you're making pizza, is it cheese and then toppings or other toppings and then cheese? Uh, personally, it's toppings and then cheese on top. Sauce first, obviously. It, it, I excluded the, the crust and the sauce of whatever type of sauce you like to use because I figure everybody's putting those down first. Yeah. It's the other two that people yeah. differ on. Personally, it's always been toppings and cheese, but I don't get too mad about it because I know a lot of restaurants do it the other way, which I don't really get it, but that's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I'm the complete opposite. It's got to be the cheese first, and then you put the, the toppings. It that's why to they're be. called toppings. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah, that's that's a fair point. That's a fair, Arguably, cheese is a topping too. Um, I mean, I guess anything that goes on the crust yeah. or the... The, the dough that you put out initially, I guess, would be a topping of some kind. Um, why? So that, there's two things there, I guess. Like, why does the cheese have to go first and then the toppings? And like, why does it have to be, you know? Well, for me, because I like this, the, I wanted to avoid calling them toppings because I didn't want to like subconsciously plant in people's mind that yeah. they should go one place rather than another. But to me, the I'll call them toppings now because we're on opposite side of the fence, so it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The, I like the toppings to have a little bit of like a bit of browning or a bit of crisp on them. So if they're sitting on top, the cheese doesn't kind of bury them and prevent them from getting a little bit crispy or have that texture change. So I like the cheese to be soft and gooey. So that can go first and then you put the topping on top (laughs) and then whether it's like a piece of meat that browns and crisps a little bit or you know the onions or the peppers or whatever you're putting on change a bit of color and changes the texture so then you have a little bit of the crunch and a little bit of the the soft and gooey is where i find if you put the cheese on top of everything else then it's all just kind of soft and gooey you know that's a fair point i understand the argument um, I'm on board with that. I do like when the pepperonis start to like curl up a little bit. Um, you know, and you like, I don't know, maybe you don't want your pizza to be greasy, but I think I like when that pepperoni grease starts running just a, just a tad, you know, it pools a little bit in the pepperoni itself just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Just a little bit. Um, but personally, this maybe isn't a pizza thing, but I, it is a little bit of pizza thing, but definitely like a nacho thing. I like when the cheese gets crispy, like it melts and then it starts to like, not burn, but it like it, it bubbles and it gets crispy a little bit. I like that. You know, that's, that's my... an interesting point because with nachos, I'd be on the same fence as you. I don't mm-hmm. like the browning and crisping on the pizza with my cheese, mm-hmm. but with nachos, completely opposite. Interesting. So you would put the cheese on top of the toppings and in, in nachos for sure. Yeah, but it, the the other thing with nachos is I feel like it's tough to like with the toppings. You have diced tomatoes or onions or ground beef or whatever it is. Because the nacho chip gives it such an irregular surface, I feel like you just kind of throw all of it, all of it on there once. Mm. And it so that's why the cheese kind of browns and gets a little bit crispy. But it, I agree, it tastes really good on nachos. But for some reason, not a big fan of doing that with my pizza. I mean, I guess it's, it's a different t- type of cheese, you know, with the, I assume, are you putting uh, like mozzarella on your pizza? Usually, because you, you, that's the softest and gooeyest cheese. That right? Okay, so person, I don't care. Like, I'll throw, I'll throw Parmesan, I'll throw cheddar. It's gonna, it's usually gonna be cheddar or or mozzarella, but like, yeah, it doesn't matter to me. So I don't know I mean, if that makes a difference or not. I haven't really played. I mean, I'm not a, you know, a pizza connoisseur in, in the kitchen by any means. So I haven't really played around with different cheeses to see what the deal is with all oh, this cheese is better than that cheese or this texture versus that. Like I mostly just throw mozzarella on the pizza because that's, if I go to make a pizza, that's what I've usually purchased for it. But mm-hmm. I guess you could try other cheeses. I don't know if that would change my mind. Do you but, have uh, like go-to toppings? Or do oh yeah. Personally, I'm big fan of like some of the veggies, the mushrooms, peppers, onions, uh, I'm also a big fan of like the, when you get like the slice of tomato on there. Really? Yeah. 
So I don't mind having the tomato sauce underneath and then getting like the, the slice. It almost looks like a pepperoni piece of tomato. Does that make it? Too, it's not too soggy for you. No, no, I'm okay with the, I, I, li- I like the tomatoes right. there. And then as far as a meat goes, I'm not a big pepperoni fan. Um, but I like some sort of ground meat, usually some sort of a ground pork, or I've even done before I've cooked up like a sausage and like mm-hmm. broken it up and yeah, then sprinkle yeah. that on the pizza or ground beef mm-hmm. usually. But I like the, the ground, the ground meat on there. And if I'm feeling really fancy and I want to break the bank, I'll throw shrimp on there. I think shrimp would be the best. Really? Yeah. Shrimp on a pizza is really good, but shrimp is more expensive than other stuff. So really? Wow. I don't think I've ever heard of shrimp on a pizza before. Really? Yeah. Never. Oh, you, it's a game changer. You got to try seafood on pizza. Okay. So I have had seafood on pizza before. Um, Oh, but just not shrimp. Not shrimp. I've only, uh, I'll tell you about a pizza combo that I had like earlier this summer for the first time that it's, it's out there for sure. Um, but so you would go like, in your ideal world, it's shrimp. You yep. got tomatoes, mushrooms. Like, are these all together? Yeah, the like mushrooms, your... the onions, and the peppers, I tend to dice Okay, really nice. fine. So you can kind of like sprinkle them on. It's not like big uh-huh. chunks of... And then you got a big chunk of tomato and you got... Yeah, like... some sliced tomato and then the... And you have like like thick shrimps or are they chopped up as well? Uh, I'll normally cut the shrimp in half. Okay. So it's like, like a smaller... Like lengthwise or how or uh like are you slicing it down the spine or no 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 i'm slicing it cross-sectional area all right so you get two little like curves yeah okay gotcha (laughs) that's trying to think i was like man it rounds in a sort like uh (laughs) which direction am i cutting it in but yeah um so yeah earlier this summer bronwyn bronwyn's parents but they do they do some interesting pizzas um so the one that we had was Okay, so goat cheese. That's solid. Smoked salmon. That's the seafood. Smoked salmon's good on everything, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, dill. And I can't remember if it was honey or maple syrup, but that's it. There's no, like, that's the sauce. It's not, like, thick on there, but that's, like, almost the goat cheese is almost like a sauce. And it's nice. That I could see that being really good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that combo's solid. Kind of that sweet, salty. Yeah, and that's my jam. I love like, yeah. the sweet, salty kind of thing. I That's the first pizza I've had that's like that. Normally, if I'm making it myself, it's going to be pepperoni or like one, some kind of meat. Pepperoni, bacon, sausage are usually my preferred. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I like onions on it. I've done onion mushroom. Um, I don't really, I don't care about mushrooms at all, if I'm being honest. But like onion and mushroom is a nice combo. Um, or like some kind of pepper or like... Uh, sun-dried tomatoes is nice jalapeno peppers are good too mm, I like, like that sometimes my, that's sometimes that's usually the pepper i pick is a mm. jalapeno as opposed I do, to like a red or a green sweet pepper. yeah i do like jalapenos a lot um the taste but they, they're a little bit too spicy for me i'll do like <laughs> banana peppers banana peppers is nice okay um i Why guess last what's that Why not both because that's even more hot. <laughs> that would be even more, yeah, even more heat. Um, okay, last thing I think before I move on. Where do you stand on pineapple? I'm not a big pineapple fan on pizza. Are you a pineapple fan in general? It, it's okay. It To me, it's like middle of the road. If it's just pineapple itself, I'll eat it. Um, I tend to like almost every fruit, um, but not on pizza. And I won't say I'm not a f- like against fruit on pizza because I think technically tomatoes are fruit. Yeah. From a biological standpoint. So I don't yeah. want to get caught in that argument. So I won't say fruit doesn't belong on pizza, but I'll say pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. Okay. Okay. Is there any reason for it? Or you just like, that's just a personal bias and you're okay with acknowledging that. It's a personal bias and I'm willing to admit that I'm also not a huge fan of ham. I feel like that's the thing is like you and need, ham is usually the go-to with pineapple on pizza. Yeah. You got to have, it's either, it has to be ham or bacon or both for it to work. So yeah, yeah it's not going to work. probably my that. least favorite of the meats. Hmm. So that's going to get. Yeah. Knocked See, down the list. And that's interesting to me. Cause you said ground pork, you might do, which like ground pork to me is like the worst possible meat on the 
planet, probably. Oh, um, I love this, the like, spices and the all the spices, other stuff. Sure, like because they because they flavor all the the meat with the spices and everything, and then stick it inside the sausage. So some sort of ground. So I like a sausage. I like I like sausage, but like we're just talking like like ground beef is good. Ground pork, just like ground pork by itself, you buy it in a package. I don't yeah. like that personally. I guess I was calling it ground pork because I take the sausage, <laughs> I chop it back. I basically take it from yeah. ground pork. It gets that's turned great. into a sausage. I cook it and then I break up the sausage back into ground. Yeah. So that's why I was calling it that. But it would sure. be, I guess, sausage then. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Big time. Big time on board with that. But yeah, the cured meats, the cured cured pork is a lot better than like just straight, straight ground pork is not that nice in my personal opinion. But Anyway, um, so midway through that discussion, I had like a glimpse of a transition. So we're talking about fascia. And to me, it's almost like the cheese is the fascia of pizza in a way. You could make an argument for the dough maybe, but. Well, I like the cheese better because the cheese is kind of everywhere as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's it connects to everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, a good yeah, analogy. Well, thank you. That I think that could have been an opening line for the next the next episode. Because cheese, the cheese is the, pizza. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that works. It can have it different does. textures. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do we fascia? We're talking about fascia today. Yeah, going, this will be another sort of like, yeah, deep dive into, into this as, as deep as we can dive into something that, I mean, there's a lot of info out on it, but there's, there's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of gray zones, a lot of mystery. It's, yeah, I mean, that seemed like the consensus, like there's, there's definitely leaders in the field that are ahead of everybody. Um, but it seems like everyone until recently has been kind of out on their own. Like, does anybody else know this is as important as I think it is? You know, yeah, so or does it, anyone it else seems care like about it or. Yeah. So it seems like it's a young uh, area of research, maybe not young, but like um, young in, in the modern world and definitely young in like athletics, I would say, and performance. Well, and even from an anatomy standpoint, it's, it's young because, I mean, it was interesting to read kind of before we dive into any of the, the details, but it was interesting to read that one of the reasons people at the present time think that fascia has been sort of neglected in terms of being looked at was because when scientists and biologists and whoever started doing dissections, they were interested in getting at organs and muscles and things like that. And of course, because the fascia like you said, is kind of the, the cheese of the pizza and it, it's everywhere and it glues things together. That was always being removed and kind of disposed of. It's like, well, I need to remove and get rid of the fascia to see the muscle. I need to remove and get rid of the fascia to pull this organ out. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes sense why it would potentially be forgotten about because it was this kind of throwaway item that, you know, anyone dissecting and doing that work was just, getting rid of it to get at something else. And mm-hmm. it's only recently that they're like, Hey, all this stuff that we're throwing away, this fascia, that's part of the body too. And it plays a, a potentially really big role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it would have had the same sort of like, we just need to cut this away. Cause it's in the way kind of thing. If we, we have fat everywhere and fat is a connective tissue and it's like, I mean, fat is, I can't remember actually is fat like, a type of fascia. I don't actually think it is, but um, there's kind of like a really gradual like transition between like there's the really loose, um, really elastic, like move all over the place kind of fascia, which would be similar to fat, you know, not in, not molecularly, but like structurally in how it behaves. Like if you touch it probably. Um, and then it, you know, slowly transitions into denser and thicker and more fibrous. Um, so it, I mean, I could see how people was just like, okay, we could get rid of the fat. That's not important. Get rid of this other stuff and keep going. Oh, okay. Now there's some things that are interesting. 
you know? Yeah. Like I said, it, it just seems like it, it, it makes sense when people talk about, yeah, it was something that was just kind of overlooked. Like you said, it was mm-hmm. in the way, Oh, we got to mm-hmm. get rid of this. Mm-hmm. Got to move this out of the way to get at a muscle tissue or a body organ or something like that. And yeah. And I don't really know how, I, I guess somebody, you know, with a, a different way of thinking, just thought, Hey, all this stuff we're moving out of the way. Like, what is it? Mm-hmm. And th- that's kind of where it's, wh- where it's come from. Cause I mean, when I was going through some of the papers to review, there was, there was stuff, I think, what was it? 1651. So we're talking mm. like almost 400 years ago was the first mention of fascia. Oh, wow. So, Thank I mean, you. in terms of identifying it as a, as a structure and something in the body, it's, it's been known about for a very, very long time, relatively speaking. Well, I mean, and you compare that to like, I don't know the stats, but imagine how long ago, like the heart and the brain, and like the nervous system and the, you know, vasculature have been mentioned like way, way before that, you know? Yeah. So from a, an actual research standpoint, it's very much a, like a newcomer to the game. Like I said, it's been around a long time, relatively speaking, if you think about like the lifespan of a person, mm. right. We've had a number of lifetimes or generations to look at this, but it's only even like the, the papers from 2017 were the ones where, committees of researchers got together and actually agreed upon what is fascia and mm-hmm. what does it do? Cause there were so many different, different definitions of, of what it is because it was everywhere. It was between muscles. It was between organs. It was between layers of skin. And it, it, it didn't have like this one spot in the body mm-hmm. that it, it operated in and this singular function that had this widespread coverage and function as mm-hmm. well. Like you said, compared to something like the heart, it's in one spot and this is what it does. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing I guess is with, you know, science as we see it in general, like we want to define things. We want to say like, this is where it is. This is what it does. Um, and that's how we learned anatomy. Like we have like, this is, you know, rectus femoris. It attaches at ASIS and it runs down in, you know, patellar tendon and that's where it is. And that's it. <laughs> and it flexes the knee or sorry, extends the knee, flexes the hip, and that's yeah. it. Um, you know, but it doesn't work like that. And even uh, when reading anatomy trains, like not all of the muscles work exactly the way we like learned that they did. You know, there's more continuations and connections in the muscles too. And not all the muscles exist in every person. Not all the muscles attach where they're supposed to in every person. Um, but that's the thing is like with the fascia, like all of the parts of it have names. Like everyone knows about the IT band generally speaking, um, or the inguinal ligament, you know, we have ligaments, we have tendons, um, and we have like epimesium, paramesium, endomesium. Yeah. All the the different layers within the body. Right. Everything's been named, but it's just like, we haven't thought about how like it's all one thing that varies in consistency and, you know, texture and viscosity, elasticity, et cetera. Yeah. And I think it was, I think it was Tom Myers who used the example of, he's like, it's like a grapefruit. If you cut a grapefruit in half Mm, and then squeezed all the juice and all the kind of the flesh of the fruit out of it. And then you're left with all that webbing. Mm -hmm. He's like, that's kind of what the, the fascia is like in your body, which like you said, explains why, well, is it, is it up here? Is it down there? Is it start over there? Does it insert over here? It's, it's, all over the place and it's widespread because it's just this connective tissue and Mm -hmm. these sheaths that Mm -hmm. basically wrap around almost everything in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, I really liked, I think it was in the Google presentation that you sent to me. Um, He had like a little uh, reasoning for it, like how it would have came about evolutionarily where if you have like multi-celled, like if you have a single cell organism, then that single cell does everything. So that's fine. But if you have a multi-cell organism, eventually the cells are going to have to start doing different things. And so you have to separate them and make sure that they stay together, you know, like make sure that they all stay a part of the organism and, but separate them into sections so that this section can do one thing. This other section can do something else and keep those sections together and prevent them from moving around, but allow them to move as much as they need to move. And like, that's, that's what, 
you know, it is like it's separating muscles from fat, from, you know, epithelial cells, from our organs, from, you know, ligaments, nervous bones, system. everything. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's keeping everything where it needs to be protecting it, allowing it to move as much as it needs to, you know, but, but it's, not letting it just leave your body and go off and do. Yeah. If we didn't have fascia. Like we'd probably, we'd just be melting. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and it was interesting. Bones. Yeah. And it was interesting to read that the, like the fascia, we always think of the bones as our, as our structure, which they are more rigid. Mm-hmm bodies and rigid structures than soft tissues in the body, but that it works more like a, like a suspension bridge or a, like a guy wire system where yeah, the, the tension model. Yeah. The tension and the integrity of the structure comes from like the, the wires and the rope and the, the metal beams and stuff like that. And the bridge are just there to help, you mm-hmm. know, be suspended. It's not the other way around, which is an interesting way to, to kind of look at it, but it does promote that idea of like, like you said, it's all together. It's all wrapped inside the body working together. Mm-hmm. So when you move, when you do whatever it. Well, and it, it makes sense too. Like you've got like the joints are where bones connect and that's ligaments and it's cartilage and, you know, uh, well, discs in some cases, like there's other types of joints, but like, generally speaking, it's going to be those things, which is fascia, you know, it's, holding the bones together it's connecting the muscles to the bones like yeah nothing everything is separate if not for fascia like nothing connects to anything else without fascia yeah and then when you start to look at it that way you start to think wow how has this been overlooked Mm -hmm. and how is this not taken into consideration more for training and i mean after doing some of the reading i have a bit of a guess a hypothesis or a theory as to why that is um which i mean we can get into later on in the series when we talk specifically about training but mm. it is surprising that it took this long for the system to kind of get noticed and get the credit kind of that it deserves and it, and it baffles me that like if you wanted to go find a definition of the heart or the lungs or something like that it's probably been around forever And Mm -hmm. that it was only 2017 that they actually have now a set definition from like an academic research standpoint Mm -hmm. saying academics and researchers will refer to fascia as the following and refer to the fascial system as the following Mm -hmm. so that they're all on the same page in terms of the language that they're using and, and whatnot. Like it blows my mind that 2017 is when that paper came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's incredibly recent. If you think about how much, you know, we, we think we know anyway. Um, do you like generally know that definition? I have I did, both I, of them written right here. Okay. That's perfect. Cause I read it. I don't remember it, but yeah, the, the fascia definition, I, I mean, I'm sure because it was a bunch of academics sitting in the same room trying to come up with it, it probably took way longer than it needed to as does most committee things. But the definition they have here is a sheath or any dissectable connective tissue that forms beneath or around the skin to attach and close and separate, which exactly mm-hmm. like you described before, it's just, it's everywhere. It wraps every tissue. It wraps every organ, mm-hmm. wraps all the bones, and then it allows everything to connect mm-hmm. together. And so I think that's a fairly, you know, concise definition of it. Mm-hmm. It's the fascial system one. And I'm not even going to read the whole thing. I didn't even write the whole thing down. I threw a few dots dot, dot, dot here and there, because it just, it it was like half a page. Yeah. But the fascial system in terms of function, the definition from this, uh, what's it called? Uh, This 2017 review was a 3D continuum of soft collagen containing loose and dense fibrous connective tissues that permeate the body. Skip a bunch of stuff. It interpenetrates and surrounds all organs, muscles, bones, nerve, and nerve fibers, endowing the body with a functional structure, providing an environment that enables all the systems to operate in an integrated manner, which to me, I just sum that up and say it's everywhere and it's active all the time Yeah, because that's really what it is. But, and like I said, I didn't even write half of that down because I figured that's, we don't need to know all that. Yeah. 
That's for the researchers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And then I think I saw one definition too, that there's like individual fasci, fasciae as well, which then you can still refer to tendons and ligaments and the things that we have defined up until now. Um, and they're within the fascial system, but you can identify structures. Yeah. yeah well, cause it, and it goes back to the definition of the fascia. Like if they can, like, if you can dissect it. Mm-hmm. So like you said, oh yeah, this is the fascia that wraps around this. So we'll call it that. This is the fascia that wraps around that organ, but it, it's all together. It's all, mm-hmm. it's all everywhere. And then, you know, I guess to me, the big thing from that, the definition of how it functions is that last line where it's like all the body segments or it allows all the body segments to operate in an integrated manner. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that really starts to resonate then with okay, if we're, if we're moving, if we're lifting, if we're training, if we're playing a sport, if we're doing whatever, that system, if it's surrounding all the tissues that are being used, whether it's muscles, blood vessels, heart, lungs, whatever, it obviously has to be active in conjunction with all those things that we traditionally think about being used in sport and in training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's the great point. Like even, um, I was listening to a podcast, uh, Lee Taft was, uh, interviewing Bill Parisi. Um, and one point that he made is like, when you jump, like your fascia is surrounding all your organs and that's what's preventing them from just smashing into each other all the time. Like it's your fascia is suspending your organs so that you can run and jump and not risk, you know, like bruising your intestines against your rib cage all the time, or, you know, like all of these different things would just be mixing around inside your torso if they weren't suspended. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, think about if you were driving in a car and then you didn't have your seatbelt on and just start whipping the car left and right and left and right. You'd, mm-hmm. you inside the car would go, you know, yeah. bounce off one window to the other window and back and forth. And that's your, that's a good point. That's exactly what would happen if you were cutting and changing direction. Your organs would be going yeah. on a ride from one side of your rib cage to the other, just getting Maybe smacked around. Left kidney shoots up beside your right lung, and then all of a sudden you can't breathe anymore. <laughs> oh, so man. that's what I mean. Like it was, it was interesting. Like it's, it, it's great that the researchers go out and put that stuff together because then they have set definitions. And then you can talk about it. Yeah. And they can talk about it and move forward with the research, which we can talk about a couple of other things, you know, later on. But then to me, it was, it was great to just see that definition come together. Cause it, it really speaks to how interconnected everything is mm-hmm. that they had to come up with a definition that was half a page long and incorporated almost every system in the body mm-hmm. because it's everywhere. And then that, that to me is what makes it, makes you think okay this is something important to know about and at least look into Mm -hmm. about how it should be or how it could be integrated into what we do from a training and sport perspective because it if it's involved in everything we do training and sport is an aspect of some things that we do Mm -hmm. and we want to try to have the best influence on performance as possible yep absolutely um so I think we should probably get into a little bit more about like how it works, probably like what yeah. it, we talked about what it does kind of, kind of, and how it works and what it does kind of, you know, interweave a little bit. Um, no pun intended there. True. Good point. Good point. Um, so I, I guess from what I've read anyway, fascia is, it's going to be fibers of you know, mostly collagen and some elastin in different proportions, depending on where you are and what, uh, what you've subjected that tissue to. Um, and then a lot of water and other chemicals forming the, um, ground substance, you know, within the extracellular matrix. Um, and that's a good point, I guess, as well. The extracellular matrix is something that we all know about and talk about, but didn't realize that it's in the fascia. Yeah, so that's what surrounds yeah. the, the matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then the collagen varying levels of thickness and stiffness. Um, elastin is elastic as per the name. Um, yeah, generally speaking anyway. And then 
lines end up ideally crisscrossed, but sometimes they're all zigzaggy, um, which means that they don't stretch. They don't like glide the right or way. slide. They get sticky. Yeah. I'm not doing a very good job explaining it. There's, there's a lot going on though. Well, to me, what was interesting, there's two things that as we were, at least as I was going through some of the, like going back and looking at anatomy trains and reading some of these newer papers was, you know, Tom Myers does a good job of breaking down, like you said, sort of what the the system actually comprises of. And he talked about the, was it the fascioblasts or whatever, the little oh, fibroblasts, fibroblasts, yeah. little organisms that kind of leave the collagen goo everywhere in the body. But then it's, that's just the, like the raw goods to build mm-hmm. something. It still needs to be processed into a finished product. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it's the movement, it's the activity, it's the actions, it's the load that we put on the body mm-hmm. that then determines, like you were talking about, are they going to align in a straight line? Are they going to crisscross? Are they going to become mm-hmm. all entangled and messed up? Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's a great way of describing it because it just shows the importance of, of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you do and- a lot of activity A or activity B, you're going to influence how that the goo or the the fascial system effectively becomes interwoven with the rest of your your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's important to remember it. Like, if you think about like I'm doing activity A as in yoga or activity B as in squats. Like, it's not just those things. Like, it's like us sitting right now. It's the changing. fibroblasts are are laying down that goo. Yeah, and and this, you know, the pressure of the seat, um, you know, the postural like stress of me holding up my torso or like slouching is all, um, like it's, it's mechanical stress on the body that is being like, it, it is forming the fascia to support that posture or that activity or whatever. So if you're, if you're just sitting on the couch all the time, then you are laying down fascia to make it easier for you to sit on the couch all the time. If you're running a lot, then you're laying down fashion to run, you know, it's going to make that easier. Um, so it, it, that's a good point. Like it, you fascia or the collagen gets laid down on lines of stress. So if you have stress kind of going everywhere, like you're sitting on a couch, it's just pressure. You know, you need to be, you're resisting stress in kind of every direction, which I think is why it gets all zigzaggy and stuck and matted you know, cause you just want to stay rigid in that position. Um, versus if you're running, you know, you talk about, we, we've talked about the Achilles tendon on our plyometric series. Um, you know, you're springing up and down in a, like that tendon is linear, pure linear up and down. Um, so you're laying down fashion. It ends up, uh, like a, like a lattice. Yeah. Um, so that it can like stretch and, you know, I think uh, Bill Parisi said ideal is like 55 degrees or something um, so that you can end up with like larger angles. And then as you stretch narrower angles and then back um, when you relax. Um, but yeah, it's happening all the time, all the time. Well, and the other thing that was that Myers also kind of highlights was it's not just like you mentioned the activity where, okay, if I'm sitting versus running versus lifting versus doing yoga, that's, you know, different ways of moving. But when you talked about, yeah, they need to be able to glide and interact and, and move with one another that, like you said, everything affects it. If how much, you know, water you intake or the, the diet that you have, right. Where if you eat a bunch of foods, it causes inflammation, that inflammation makes it more challenging for the fascia to, to glide or move against one another, right. Versus if you have a diet that doesn't cause a lot of inflammation, then it makes it easier for those, mm-hmm. those, that specific area, for example, of fascia to, to glide and move. And so that's why he was, he does a great job of, in some of these presentations, like you said, explaining, Hey, if this is what you do, your body is going to lay down and use fascia in a way to make that easier to do. Mm-hmm. And like you said, whether that's sitting, whether that's running, it doesn't matter, but the, it, it shows the importance of all the different things that, 
that comes into it in the sense that, yeah, I need to be moving in, in different directions and doing different things and making sure I'm eating certain things because all of that can influence how the fascia is going to interact with, with your body and how it moves and how it, how it operates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, there were some other things that came up in that, that book um, too, about like making it harder or easier to glide. Like one is the, is the arrangement of the, of the fibers for sure. Um, another one was, I think it was the EJ Zerbo or Zorbo. Um, the yeah, physio Zerbo, guy, I think was his name. Yeah. EJ Zerbo. Um, that he mentioned the hyaluric acid maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was, it was something that, like it. Yeah. It was HA was the. Yeah. If you're moving, I think it was just generally like if you're moving more, um, then that acid is organized and it allows things to glide more so. And if you're not, then it becomes disorganized and sticky and glue, like you said. And then that's what leads to like adhesions. People talk about adhesions all the time um, where the tissues get like stuck and they don't slide that well, or they get actually matted together, which I think is more of the crisscrossy fiber Mm -hmm. arrangement. Um, And then I was reading something else about, the in the ground substance there's like a percentage of water um and water can take on a couple of different arrangements as well where in one it becomes more like uh like a liquid crystal i think which allows for easier sliding and more like elastic rebounding and stuff and then other times it becomes yeah more like glue um and it just depends on like how you're moving and and things like that yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the, I, I think that's the, one of the big reasons behind, I think why the fascia is probably important from an athletic or a training perspective is like you talked about the, the, the stickiness or the adhesions. Cause you get people all the time, you know, trigger points, you know, the, the shoulder, this hip, whatever doesn't move as well, or this muscle is tight or something like that. And, you know, when you read this type of work, they make, you know, the, they, they make the argument that it's not your muscle or your joint that's actually stuck or tight. It's the fascia that's involved in that area that has adhesions or, you know, glued sticky spots that isn't allowing you to move mm-hmm. the way you want to. So I think that was one of the big things for me as I was going through that I was like, okay, moving, you know, for example, in different planes and different ranges of motion and, trying to use our entire body for things rather than isolating small movements is really good just from a kind of like everyday feel good recovery standpoint, because it it allows the body to not get stuck with those kind of adhesion or sticking points that creates, you know, restrictions and, you know, the anatomy trains Parisi's book, the research highlights the, the, incredible amount of sensory organs that are in the, the fascia. And so the more that you move and do things outside of comfortable ranges or in full range and stuff like that, the more proprioceptive feedback you get that this is okay. Mm -hmm. And then it actually allows you sort of neuromuscularly or proprioceptively to move into these like end ranges or extreme ranges. Cause it may not actually be, like I said, your joint, for example, that's jammed up. It's the fascia doesn't allow you to go out and reach there. So to me, that was one of the big, like why I thought it was valuable to read this from like our perspective and why maybe some other coaches or people involved in sport and performance should go out and read some of this stuff just to be aware of all the different things that kind of have effects on how people move and how they feel when they move. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's important. Yeah. Just to recognize that fascia, it was like six to 10 times the amount of uh, yeah, something like that. organs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's important just to remember or to realize that, and then it can help you. Yeah. If you're doing mobility work or like stretching or, or whatever, like whatever you do to get range, it can help maybe inform that, a little bit more um you know like people always you know it's important to go to end range but i always thought it was for the muscles you know not for the fascia but and i also knew if you take a muscle out of the body like it's just a floppy loose wet kind of 
like it's not stiff you know if like it's the fascia that's stiff and the fascia is stiff you know because of how you move in the and the fibers that have been laid down but also the neuro input to the fascia as well so yeah if you go to end range then you're learning that that's fine um but it's also helpful i think when you're learning movement obviously because i thought all your proprioceptors are in the fascia the fascia is telling you where you are in space um and i was reading a paper by tom myers actually earlier today um if you think about instead of cueing the muscle or cueing the joint cue like the area around it cue where the fascia is and try to feel that and feel like and that's also the area like if you think about um like if the joint or the muscle is the origin of movement like the most central point of what's actually changing and stretching um the stuff that's further away is going to move more in response to that more central movement like if you, you think about like um like a the a wheel the middle of it is what's actually causing the movement but the edge of the wheel is what's moving the most yeah it covers the, the movement. Distance. yeah so um like if you flex your muscle you think you're feeling it in the muscle but you're probably more so feeling like the receptors in your like outer layer of fascia and your skin stretching you know um so thinking about it that way can help you learn movements or feel where you are in space probably probably better as well yeah so to me that was like the two big points i'd written down here was that fascia responds and it transmits and that sort of what i talked about before and what you explained there was that's like the response aspect of it right we there's there's feedback there's a response there's things that we get from it in terms of moving around and and then the other part that and the part that i would argue is a little more fascinating to me just biased because i you know like speed and explosion and power and that type of stuff but the transmission part where that it helps with transmission of force and there, there's there were three different studies that i wrote down here, there was a review from uh, Wilk and colleagues, and then two sort of more specific studies from 2013 and 27 as well that looked at force transmission between different linkages in the body. So one was between the lat and the glutes. And basically what they did is they, they had a person, you know, in a passive position, and then they would measure the tension at the lat and the glute. And then they would move a body structure to change the position of one of those areas. And you would see a tension change in both of them, not just the, and, and this was from a passive standpoint, not active. So that was some of the, the highlights for these researchers to show that, okay, look, if you do something up here with your lat, it's actually connected down in your glute. Cause when you change position in one joint, it, changes the tension or the pressure at another joint, which we didn't think was connected. Like you said, mm. your left shoulder and your right hip, they're separated by your spine. So why is there still tension or something? They, there was another one where it was moving the position of the, the foot at the ankle and you were seeing tension change up the chain mm. at the level of the hip and the, and the spine spots where there were muscles and structures that didn't directly cross over or connect with, with the ankle. And so to me, that was one of those fascinating things where I'm like, okay, if fascia responds and if it transmits force, it, it's worth at least looking into reading some books, getting that idea kind of turning in your head, because there might be some valuable information to help inform how you can do training mm -hmm. like better. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I'm super excited to get into more of the training side of stuff um, and see, I mean, yeah, see, see what people have done and, and, you know, what we can come up with and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's super, super important to think about that. And we always, uh, well, we learned from Stu in his course, like the proximal stiffness for distal athleticism. Um, and I mean, back then it was just like, okay, you stabilize these joints. So then those joints are stable and then those joints are stable. And then you can do stuff with the outside joints. Um, but thinking about it more from the fascia perspective is it makes more sense that way, especially when you go through anatomy trains and um, 
and I mean, that Parisi book was awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's super, super important to think about how, and it, it makes sense too, like the way that we move, like we're more elastic and smooth. Like you can't move smooth if like the force can't transmit up the chain, you know, um, like where one joint is influencing the next and the next and the next kind of thing. If they're all separate pieces, then we'd move like robot people. Well, and that's one of the reasons why I think, you know, robotics engineers have had such a hard time creating a robot yeah. that moves exactly like a person. I don't, what, what was his name? The Honda robot. Um, Asimo or whatever. Was that his name? Have you seen that idea. one? It like walks up the stairs, but it, it moves oh, exactly like a, a few, robot. But, like yeah. completely clunky and movement, yeah. stop, movement, stop. And then it tumbles down the stairs because it, you know didn't work mm-hmm. properly or whatever but yeah that's a great point that you bring up that yeah without it you, you'd move like a, a robot it doesn't allow you to move you know in that smooth and sort of mm. almost blended kind of way um and the other thing too like it's it's efficiency right like if you're allowing you know the like the force to transfer like you're not losing energy and we've, we talked about it too on our, our plyometric series again, how like using the stretch shortening cycle, which is, a, it's just the connective tissue stretching, you know, and then shortening, um, it's free energy, it's forced transmission, it's free energy, which makes things so much more efficient as well. Um, and like, again, if we moved like robot people and we depended on a muscular contraction for every single movement we ever did you know we wouldn't be able to run any meaningful distance you know we wouldn't be able to run any meaningful speed or anything like that or lift no, anything be way more efficient yeah everything yeah everything would be so much harder yeah there'd be the the effort the output the the energy consumption on everything we did mm-hmm. would be substantially higher yeah i thought the the anecdote from Stu where he did the dissection of the rat where they cut the man, what did they do? They cut the muscles on one side or they cut the fascia away on one side, one side and And on the other, they didn't. And the other side, it was like 73% stronger or something like that on the fascia side, the contraction. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, they did something where they either like, I guess electrically stimulated Mm-hmm. the muscle to get a contractor what yeah yeah something like it was some absurd amount of like because the fascia it's not just but and that's the other thing is like the muscles don't just contract linearly they like press out against each other and against the fascia as well and so it's like the whole antagonist agonist thing doesn't make that much sense if you think about it that way it's all kind of creating pressure out and everything is influencing the movement you know yeah and i think that was the point where they brought up the the classic line of you know if you tried to fire a cannon out of a canoe yeah and that was the difference between the strength they saw in the muscle with the fascia and without the fascia that you, you can't really take advantage of the contractile strength or the tension mm-hmm. of the muscle if there's nothing to support it to create that tension mm-hmm. which was the difference you saw in or what they were trying to highlight with that with that study mm-hmm. yeah yeah man it's there's a lot going on there's a lot going on and and that's why i don't know about you but like the only like i had heard of fascial training stuff before and i had you know read the odd thing here or there but i hadn't really taken a good look into some of the the papers and some of the research and it was one of those things where it's like, okay, you just, you read about it and you, okay, that's what they say. Okay, great. But I appreciated being able to go in and actually like there are, there are studies done to show, okay, yeah, you change the position in one part of the body and it changes tension and pressure Mm -hmm. throughout the whole system. So then you start to go, okay, this idea of force transmission via the fascial system there's more merit or there's more 
you know, backing behind it. So that was to me, one of the, one of the good things about going through some of this stuff was to actually see both sort of the practical and the research side of the fascial system and how it actually operates within, within the body outside of, you know, just the, like you said, the global definition of it's everywhere and it's involved in everything. Cause yeah. that gives you more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, like we had talked about it a little bit before where like, if it, you know, is everywhere is involved with everything and responds to everything. then like, do you need to train it specifically? And we th- thought before and, you know, no, probably. And that's maybe just like the naive, I don't want to look into it kind of thing. Um, but uh, you know, aside from that, the only thing that I had really learned about it was like, we have cross body slings and they make it easier to run. And then that exists and we move on kind of thing. And now let's train the muscles involved in running. Um, but that was it, you know, and yeah. to think that there's, there's more trains, there's more chains and like they have different rules. They help with different things. Like the anatomy trains um, was a really interesting, I didn't read it fully, but I got like a good um, briefing on each of the trains anyway. And like how each of them influences posture and things like that, I think is really interesting. Um, you know, and, and then it, it gave me some inspiration to like, okay, well, let's get into my trains and see, you know, what's going on. And, you know, I'm messed up, man. But, <laughs> um, and that was actually something else when I, when I was reading that, all the stuff like, like scraping and cupping and like the and foam rolling and, you know, these different modalities and even like the concept of osteopathy, um, like all of these different, practices made so an art made so much more sense to me now like scraping i was i was like it's it it doesn't do anything but it it probably does affect the fascia you know and which is important that's a huge impact well it, it, again like you said something like that it just goes back and you read some of this stuff and then you like spoiler alert it doesn't for me anyway it doesn't change a lot with the training perspective um, in terms of like wild ideas or doing things differently, but it gives you an appreciation more about being careful with what you select. Because like mm-hmm. you said, some of these modalities, as you learn about this system, you go, Hey, every length change, every pressure change, it responds to something. So then, like you said, if you're foam rolling, if you're um, scraping, if you're doing anything, you're applying pressure, you're changing the volume and where it's, you know, where it is in, in space and time and you're having an impact on that stuff. So for me, it was, I have more of an appreciation for this, this topic now in terms of fascial training. Do I think I'm going to turn into like a fascial training guru as a result of this? No, but it's going to allow me to, I think, to more carefully consider some of the movements and some of the actions that we, that I prescribe in training, knowing that there's always this downstream sort of everything affects everything type effect with the fascial system. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I feel like every time I read something, I'm like, this is it. You know, <laughs> uh, like every time we do one of these series, it's like, oh, this is the big key, you know? Um, so it, it could just be that kind of thing talking, but it, it does seem very, very important. And it seems like it might, it might be like a huge game changer in my philosophy personally. Like if we talk about, we're going to get into more of this in the training. Um, but if you talk about. This is a good bridge though. Yeah. Um, if it adapts to everything and it makes whatever you're doing, if it makes that easier. Um, like I had, so I was doing some sprints the other day. Um, and while I was doing sprints, I was thinking about all the stuff that I had been reading um, and how do we like train the fascia in a way to make sprints and athletic movements like that easier, which is what we want, you know? And um, like some of the Tom Meyer stuff is like, maybe you, you want to start slow because fascia takes a longer time to adapt than muscles do. Um, and he also said stuff like if you, you should be able to do something slow 
And just because you can do it fast doesn't mean you can do it slow and, and maybe you need to be able to do it slow before you have the right to do it fast and things like that. So, um, and, uh, and, and thinking about like all the different types of like basic movements from the Gary Gray stuff and the, and Todd Wright and all those sorts of things. Um, thinking about doing all of that, like repetitively every day, kind of over and over and over and get the fascist system. Like we're moving in all kinds of directions, all kinds of planes. But then I was also like, if I want to get better at running, I should just run more. Like if I want the fascist system to work for running, then run. Yeah. You know, it's going it to respond to everything I do. So if yeah. I run, it's going to respond to running. Yeah. And if I'm better at that thing, like it doesn't. And from that perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense to do like a lunge and a squat and like a hop in like a billion different, you know, directions with rotation and, and weight shifts and, you know, stances and stuff to like the variations good for the fascist system for sure. But is how much is that going to transfer to making running easier? Like a little bit, probably like I, I felt good after I did that stuff, but um, like if I wanted the fascist system to adapt to make running easier than run. And so if I'm thinking about sports, like if I'm, training to make sports easier which should be the goal then i should be doing a lot of things that replicate sport you know and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we need to be playing football in the weight room of course you know <laughs> we, we don't we already talked about that on the show we don't want to be doing that but you know if i'm doing things like and i just read bill parisi's book and he does a lot of med ball stuff so if i'm doing things like med ball throws that's closer to like a change of direction like um, taking on a block, like throwing, you know, like all of these athletic movements, then, you know, a, a deadlift. You know, like it's, it's maybe like the deadlift is similar in terms of the absolute weight or the absolute load or whatever, but the direction I'm moving, like the force transmission up the chain, like you're moving in different ways. Um, the ground reaction force is working differently, I think anyway. And so if the stuff that you do in your sport is like 99% like transmitting force up the chain, like from ground into your hands, then you should be training more ground into your hands type stuff um, rather than like training muscles. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, it, I want to be careful that don't immediately dive into the next, the yeah, next episode. I, and all I the tempted you, I tempted you. With I, you've tempted me. I won't bite though. I won't bite, but no. And I mean, and you bring up good points and ultimately, like I said, do I think this will radically change how I do things? No, but there's, there's some, there's now an appreciation under a greater understanding of the system that I have. So, in areas where I've highlighted where, okay, I think I'm doing a good job of this. Maybe this could be tweaked a little bit because now I might have more consideration for the fascia and creating, you know, a smooth gliding proper fascial system throughout, throughout the body. So like I said, I don't think it, it changes everything. Cause if we want to get strong, we still have to lift. If we want to run fast, you still have to sprint. Like you said, you want to be good at your sport. You got to play your sport, but there's probably some, kind of like the fascia is the glue between all the, the big things in the body. I think there's a way with training, we can consider how some of these concepts can be the glue to the, the larger components of training that we, we traditionally keep. And I'll, I'll keep it at that. So I don't dive into steal too much thunder from the next episode, but that's kind of where, where I think I would be going with it from a training perspective yeah, based on what we've read for this for this series yeah that makes sense and I, like to be clear i'm not saying never lift because i think that's important too but you're a power lifter you can't say that not yeah, allowed that's right well power lifters should always lift that's their <laughs> so, sport yeah um but yeah i mean i think that's a good spot if we go any further then we're just going to talk about training yeah so. <laughs> we're going to dive we might as well just okay part two right away let's go yeah a two-hour special yeah um but yeah, I mean, that's that's it for fascia. Like we talked about, it's the glue for the system. It holds everything together. Um, you could argue that music is the glue of the weight room. 
um, or of a team, music brings people together. I think it does. It has the potential anyway, if you use it right. Yeah, unless it's country, that won't bring anyone together. But you <laughs> know. definitely not true. <laughs> that's definitely not true. Oh man, I think so many, so many more people go to country music festivals, or more consistently anyway. The people that go to country music festivals, I feel like they go more consistently than any other music yeah, festival. I mean, you're probably right. A special crowd, you know, unique mm-hmm. individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been a little while. It it has. I have a lot. I don't even know what to pick for today, to be honest. I have like a, a library worth of, of things. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to, mm-hmm. I'll do my best to, you know, pick one of them and not spiral out of control. Yeah. I have, I do actually have a, yeah. I, I was listening to stuff and then I forgot. I haven't listened to a lot of music lately, but so I forgot what I listened to since last recording, but I've been watching. I'll, I'll, I'll you go and then I'll explain what I'm talking about in a second. Yeah, I mean, just for the view, like, when was the last time? This is like, what, a month between recordings? Yeah. Maybe yeah. five weeks, like actual time. So that's why I'm sitting here going, man, I have five weeks of, of music bottled up that I wanted to let the world know about. Yeah, I guess um, it has been just over a month. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've, well, yeah, we've been busy. You moved. I had a baby. So we've yeah, things busy. are, <laughs> things, and I'm moving again, but we'll, you know. <sighs> We'll get we'll get into that after off um, air off air okay <laughs> but the I'll, I'll give so from the like sort of poppy synthwave electro side found this group called Lightning they're a trio from uh, Nederland and they spell Lightning without any of the vowels so it's a little tricky to spell but there it's it's really good it's really catchy I can't like if I'm driving in the car if I'm doing anything like that that's I got that playing. Mm. Um, and then if people want something to listen to, if they're, you know, they need their heavy metal fix, I got you again. Um, there's a, a playlist on Spotify called heavy Queens and they got like all, in my opinion, some of the best bands and new bands I've never heard of with like female leads on vocals for the metal bands. And that playlist has been like been treating me very well. Mm-hmm. So I've been using that a lot when I go to, when I go to lift and I just throw that on. And sometimes I know the song, sometimes I don't, but it's been great to kind of explore some new bands. So that's my summary of that's good. The best of the last four weeks. I do enjoy, uh, I do enjoy female singers to like rock and men, metal music for sure. So that's, that's a big key right there. Um, I so my music fix or the majority of it has been coming from movies actually um the last little bit so musicals mm, well I guess one was borderline a musical okay um I was just gonna make fun of you if you were watching musicals that's all I mean musicals are good too you, well I, I I did plug Hamilton a while back um Hamilton was very good but not musicals um so I'll I'll only say one of them in case i don't listen to music before we record the next one and i have <laughs> yeah leave one in the bank a couple more um inside by bo burnham it's a netflix special um i mean it might be classified as a comedy it's some of it's funny it's definitely not a comedy but it's it's really good um just like him in a room he wrote performed produced all of it by himself in a room um, during lockdown, essentially. Um, and yeah, some of it's really funny. Um, some of it's really like heartfelt and emotional, which like to me feels honest. Maybe it's yeah, an act a roller coaster as well. Yeah. Like there's a lot, like you can see he's, he's going through it. Um, or he was anyway. So, but yeah, big, uh, big recommend like the music's all catchy. Um, a lot of people have probably heard the, uh, he has a song about uh, Jeff Bezos. Oh, yo, that song's a banger. That's so a, good. It is a banger. Oh, it, it, so there's a amazing. few. There's a couple. And the memes people have made to it with like the Amazon trucks driving and mm. playing the, t- oh. Yeah. There's, so there's the a couple. <laughs> there's a couple songs that I would absolutely consider bangers. Um, 
and then yeah there's other ones that are just it's just the content is funny and so relatable or or just true so i didn't realize that's where that came from though i've just seen it from like an internet Mm -hmm. meme like the the jeffrey bezos song i've just seen it like i said from an internet meme perspective i didn't realize it came from a a larger production than that Mm -hmm. yeah maybe i'll have to check it out then that could convince me yeah it's good like like i said some of it's really funny so you'll enjoy that for sure um a lot of like social commentary as well and just emotions um yeah it's 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 a really it's really well done i i think so um definitely recommend that to anybody um but it's not as funny as i mean i don't i didn't really like bill burnham's other special so if you're expecting it to be like that it's not like that i haven't seen it so i have no expectations yeah there you go personally yeah can't speak Um, for the world mm mm-hmm so yeah, that's that's it. Happy to be back recording. Hopefully yeah, it feels good. It's not another month. I can't imagine it'll be another month before we record part two. Um, so it's pulled us back in now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so part two is coming soon. More fascia discussions. If anybody wants us to talk about anything else, let us know. Um, speed strength show, speed strength performance, Braden Southern. So remember how to do that. Um, it's like riding a bike. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming along, world. That was the Speed Strength Show. We'll see you next time. Peace.